0: If you haven't got the feeling already, Calvary Church is very much a relational family-style church, and it's something that we really want to keep building on and growing in, even as we continue to grow being a family church. This morning I want to share with you um, a lot of my heart and the Lord's heart for relationship Why do we have a community pastor in our church and why do we care so much about community and relationships and that kind of thing? Why do we think that is a very core value for us to hold on to as a church? It's all rooted in Scripture and I think it's important for us to understand. There is a battle going on in our land and we are in a war that is waged against relationships. I don't think I have to say a whole lot for you to get that. The last two years, when we look around at how much broken relationship has gone on, it's pretty obvious. I don't have to convince anybody of that. If I talk to my school teacher friends, and they talk to me about the homes uh, that these kids are coming out of, and the stories they're hearing, there's a war going on inside of our homes in relationships. It's all over the place. But this isn't a new war, but we do need to engage in the battle. That's happening in our land. At Calvary Church, we long for people to develop and grow in real relationships. In front of you, there's the little survey, the little yellow paper. This is the top paragraph in there. We long for people to develop and grow in real relationships. We place a high importance on authentic relationship with Jesus and with others, all done in the context of community. We believe that God has created us for relationship And we value cultivating this relationship with Jesus Christ through His Word and through multiple discipleship avenues. That's the church we want to be. If you've been around here for a little while or in the past year and it's been Saturday today, we've experienced significant growth. And that creates that's joyful and we're excited about it, but it creates challenges. How do we do family? When we're 150, 200 people, we can gather around each other and do family in one way, but when we're 500 people... We have to care for each other completely different. And we're adjusting and trying to figure out, okay, Lord, what does that look like? How do we continue to do authentic relationships with one another? The past few weeks, Rob's been teaching us and walking us through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I believe this is absolutely critical for us to put it into action individually and as a body for us to actually start to push back on the war that's going on on relationships. Without the Spirit, we're going to run into trouble. We're going to have a very hard time pushing the enemy back and starting to take ground back on relationships if we aren't filled with the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit of truth. The enemy is always trying to deceive us and to trick us. We need to remember that we are, we hold the Holy Spirit inside us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I sat down with Rob this week and was just processing that. For me, that's, it's crazy for me to try to understand. I have the same Spirit that was in Jesus lives in me. Man, do I want more of it. Like, help me, Jesus, to walk in that, in the fullness so I can push back on the enemy. I want, more of, I want to be a reflection of the temple of the Holy Spirit more to the world around me. This big word, intersectionality, God shows no partiality. He poured out the Spirit on the Gentiles. I imagine the Jews standing there and going, this is crazy. In fact, I'm a little ticked off. I'm not happy about that. God doesn't show partiality. Are we a bit the same though? Hmm, that person sitting here, really? Grace covers them? Aren't we just like the Jews so often? We need the Spirit to fill us and to push back on what the enemy is trying to do in deceiving us. And then last week, our joyful baptism celebration, we're reminded that Jesus can identify with the temptations and the sin that we are always fighting as he entered into those baptism waters. He gives us this beautiful example. Matthew three sixteen and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water Suddenly the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and resting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I don't know about you, but I long to hear that day after day from the Spirit. Vince, I'm pleased with you. And there's only one way I can do that, is that is when I'm walking in the Spirit and trusting that the Spirit is leading and guiding, and I'm walking into places that I wouldn't walk if it weren't for His prompting and His leading in my life, and then I walk there, and I'm like, wow, He did something amazing. Not because of me, but because He was leading. And then I know it. the Holy Spirit says to us often, well done, good job, good job, keep going, keep going, keep pushing back on the enemy. Oh yeah, I got this clicker thing. (laughs) I have not used PowerPoint in I don't know how many years, but we're going to try this today. God's relational presence is throughout Scripture. He remains the same, and and all these Scriptures remain the same for us today. They're just, they're reminders. I really like what Scott DeVell and Daniel Hayes say in their book about God's relational presence. The triune God desires a personal relationship with people and so makes His presence known to establish and cultivate this relationship. He makes His presence known to establish and to cultivate, to grow you in your relationship with Him. This relational presence of God lies throughout the entire Bible. It's at the heart of the Bible. We see it over and over and over. From beginning to end, we see that His presence is with the people and encourages them. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we look at this is before the fall. There's this perfect creation. We can learn so much from those first two chapters about God's relational heart for us and His plan for us as humans. Even after the fall, though, God doesn't stop pouring out His presence upon them, which is a little crazy. Like, I'm done with you. You messed up. You didn't listen to me. It's over. No, God continues to, to pour out His presence Genesis 3, verse 8. And they heard a sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. Just because they had sinned, he didn't abandon them and say, done. He came, even after. I was thinking about this and reflecting on it. They heard. They heard the sound of the Lord. They had spent time with him. So you know when you're at home, you can hear, oh, that's Mason walking upstairs. I can tell by his heavy heels, you know, or no, that's Tyron walking. I I know because I know what their feet sound like. They knew that the presence of the Lord was with them because they had been with him in chapters 1 and 2, enough to know it. Exodus chapter 3, he said, But I will be with you, Moses, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall... You shall serve God on this mountain. This will be a sign to you. God continues to show us signs time and time again that He is with us and that His presence is leading and guiding. He still works the same today. Deuteronomy 31. I'm just going to walk us through through Scripture just to show it. And there's so many more examples. But Deuteronomy 31. The Lord who goes before you speaking to Joshua. He will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So do not fear Or be dismayed. Joshua 1 verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you, Joshua, all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Isaiah 41 verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I want to share a little story about Isaiah 41 in the way that God revealed his presence to me through his word on this passage. Almost 20 years ago, uh, Mavis and I were a part of a small Mennonite church. And in that church, the process of hiring a pastor was that the brotherhood, the men, would get together. They would know that they needed to hire another pastor. The men would get together one evening and they would say who or nominate people to become the next pastor from within the congregation so if we here were looking for another pastor all the guys would get together we would pray about it and then we would come here and one person would leave this place uh, with that nomination on them and so I'm one of the men going to the congregation I'm like ooh, you kind of know at that point often you kind of know who's going to be called Uh, And I kind of knew in my heart, oh man, I was nervous. And I did one of the flips, you know, where you just go, okay, Lord, you need to speak to me in your word. And I flipped and Isaiah 41, verse 10, these verses were on the page. Do not fear Vince, I'm with you. Don't be dismayed, Vince. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I'm going to hold you in my righteous right hand. And literally it felt like, and I got goosebumps now. It felt like, whoa. I closed my Bible it was like a thud. And I walked out of the house and I walked into that meeting knowing what was going to happen, completely confident. And that was the first call that the Lord affirmed in our lives to step into ministry. He's still doing it today. He's still doing it today to show you that He is with you and He's going to lead you. He hasn't left us. New Testament, it continues. This is a passage Rob used. John Chapter 14, verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him for He dwells within you and will be with you. He's with us. Philippians 4, verse 9. What you have learned or received or heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. We see the Spirit working on other people. Maybe you're not feeling it, but maybe you're seeing it in someone else. He's revealing Himself to us. Hebrews 13, verse 5, He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then in Revelation 21, verse 3, and we heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He dwells with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. These are precious calls for worship and adoration of the King. They're reminders to us that He is with us. It should humble us to know that God Almighty, the Creator of the ends of the earth, is with us and longs to be in relationship with you. I've done studying and thinking about the fear of the Lord often, and Scripture calls us to fear the Lord often. And I think often we've seen Him as our buddy. If the presence of the Lord came upon us, it's like, whoa, Whoa, Lord, you are God. You created this. Out of the breath of his mouth, the starry hosts were formed. That's powerful. And he wants to be in relationship with you and me. That should cause us to adore and worship him and say, okay, hey, Lord, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my life? You were created for relationship. That's why he created you. That's what it means for your life. He longs to be in a relationship with you. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, a brutal death on your behalf, so that that broken relationship could get right. My last message here in the beginning of July was on discipleship. If you weren't here, um, basically it was You're discipling people all the time, whether you know it or not. People are watching and observing your life. And so wherever you're walking, people are observing your life. If you're out on the street, they're observing you, and they are taking notes on your life. We are pretty judgy people, and we are constantly analyzing, wondering, what's going on? Why is that person doing that? Why did they react that way? And when you live out full of the Spirit, you live it out, they start going, hmm, that person really looks different and they live differently and they care differently and you are leading them into something. People will ask you, First Peter says, always be prepared to make a defense for the hope that's within you. Do it with gentleness and respect. So when you're living out a spirit-filled life, they will begin to question, why do you do that? You're discipling people all the time. Jesus said, Go baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. Commandment one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it and equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the most important thing that we can do, and this is the battle that we are in. The enemy wants nothing more than to destroy those first two things. First Peter 5 talks about relationship. Um, it talks about the call of elders and, and their responsibility. It talks to young people and the way that they should interact with older people. It talks about having a humble spirit and that we, to, we are to walk in humility. Verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. One thing that I really love about Scripture, it's not this is just talked about relationships. It doesn't hide from the fact that relationships are probably going to cause some anxiety in your life. They're probably going to cause some struggle and scripture doesn't hide from that, but it says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And then there's this warning. And I want us to start, this is where we're going to go into like, we need to start battling. Here's the warning. Be sober minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. That's for us. If you were to watch my Instagram reels, you know that they, like, Rob talks about how they, like, they... They play with us and they give you the things you need so that the little go off in your brain. Well, I have lions in pursuit in the desert. I was actually noticing that yesterday evening as I was sitting and relaxing and doing the useless time waster. My reels of how many lions are attacking? The enemy is like a lion, he's crafty. When you watch a lion pursuing its prey, it separates that. Whatever it's going after, that little gazelle, it separates it in the desert from the pack, and then it just gets it going further apart, and then that sucker just pounces. I'm a little bit like, I don't like it when I don't like it when the enemy does that to us. But for some reason, I'm drawn to watching this stuff. But why does Scripture use that as the example? Because it's crystal clear, brothers and sisters. I see the enemy doing this. Every day of the week in Steinbach, Manitoba. It aches me so bad to hear of the broken relationships around me. Two weeks ago, on a weekend, I could barely handle it. I'm not at all joking about the amount of broken relationships I'd heard and sat with people talking about their marriages falling apart. Their kids are going astray, and all the different relational garbage going on. Not one of these situations was from outside of the church. He is prowling around us as believers looking for somebody to devour day after day. That is his mission, that is his plan. John chapter 10, verse 10 the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he is working at doing in our lives. To steal, kill, and destroy. I like the way one pastor put it. The enemy's agenda is destruction. The enemy's strategy is division. And the enemy's tactic is offense. I'm going to pause on that a little bit. I think there's a lot of tactics that the enemy uses to get the prey to go off in a different direction. Right now, I think the chief thing that he is using in our culture is offense. And he's loving it. Actually, the picture I have is he's sitting back in a lazy boy and us, are just we're just feeding him steaks. Over and over. We're just chucking it out to him. Yeah, here you go. Chew up my life. Chew up my family. Chew up my kids. That's how it feels to me when I look around. There doesn't seem like we're engaging in the war a lot. And I, I know I'm... Kind of a Debbie Downer here right now. But it's time we stop laying aside the offense. Put it aside. I'd say before COVID, it wasn't necessarily so much offense, though I'm sure he was using it. Um, I want to read this. C.S. Lewis, many of you have probably heard this, but as I was preparing this came to mind about 15 years ago, I led a Bible study and talked to a bunch of youth about this thing that C.S. Lewis wrote. It says this, Satan called a worldwide convention of his demons. In his opening address, he said, We can't keep Christians from going to church. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. We can't even keep them from forming an intimate relationship with their Savior. Once they've gained that connection with Jesus, our power over them is broken. So let them go to their churches. Let them have their covered-dish dinners, but steal their time so they don't have time to develop that relationship with Jesus. This is what I want you to do, said the devil. Distract them from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining that vital connection throughout their day. How shall we do this, the demon shouted. Keep them so busy with the non-essentials of life and invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds." This goes on to talk about a bunch of innumerable schemes. And it's like, ugh. when I think about what I was hearing from the body of Christ when COVID first hit, the first, within three weeks, this is the most common thing I heard from friends. Oh, I have time. I have time for people. Hmm. Okay, Lord, you're taking what was meant for evil and doing something really good. Because at the heart of the Father, it's about relationship. When I hear of people, because of COVID, now getting to know their neighbor that's been their neighbor for 10 years, that they had no idea who they were, God's doing something. It is our call to be in relationship and to know our neighbors. But when we're so busy, we have no time for anybody outside of that, sure looks like the enemy's not helping us, or he's helping us not build relationships. So the caution for me and everything about getting back into church is like, I don't want us to get so busy that the world doesn't get to see the love of Jesus through us as the church. So don't... Now I'm saying this, and then next week I'm going to ask you to come be a leader. Don't. Do not say yes to me into being a leader if that means you don't have time for your kids and your wife and your neighbors. Don't. And if you feel like I'm putting pressure on you and you feel like you're starting to gain some offense, just say, hey Vince, can we clarify a thing or two here? Right? Let's not fall into this trap and be separated and have him start to divide us and so that we're not being kingdom builders outside of these walls. Matthew 20, or sorry, 12, verse 25, every kingdom divided amongst itself is laid to waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If he can plant that little seed of offense, or he can get you so busy, and he can start to divide you off from the pack, he will, he will attack. He's ruthless. He will attack. And he smiles. And we throw him another stake. Brothers and sisters, we need to suit up in the army of God and start to go to war for our relationships. We need the belt of truth. We need the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. And we need to get into the battle and to go on full-on war against him and start pushing him back. And I can promise you this. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will go with you and he will start pushing back. We just got to actually start doing it. As I was preparing, I came out of my office through the door and I just sat and I stared at that picture. Just stared at it. God, help us to take up that sword and go fight for relationships. To fight for them. God, show me where I feel offended and help me to forgive and move on from it. God, give me the courage to ask for clarification if something just seemed wrong in a conversation. Matthew 16, verses 18 to 19 say this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. A good friend of mine and I were talking about this this week. And often we can take a passage like this and become really passive gates of hell won't prevail against jesus wins in the end so become passive on it that is not the response jesus wants out of us jesus said to peter right after saying that after saying this he says in verse 19 jesus continues and said this to peter I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There was action behind this for him to go and do and be active, not to just sit back and toss stakes, but to actually get into the front lines and start pushing back on the enemy. As a church and as people, we understand right now what it means to be a frontline worker. We've heard it a lot. We as the church need to be frontline workers on the war for relationships. That's what we need to be doing. That should be our primary. This is command number one. And, and when you start to live on command number one and two, all the rest that Jesus fills or has in here, all the rest become natural. Having grace for people, loving them, being compassionate, serving them, they become natural when you start to really go to war for number one and two. We are called to the battlegrounds. If you have issues with an offense with somebody, it's time to reconcile and work at restoration. Heard a neat little saying, I don't know if it was on CHVN or where it came from this week, but forgiveness takes one person. Forgiveness takes one person. Reconciliation takes two. You can forgive the offense that is in your heart. To reconcile it takes two of you. Let's start fighting for reconciliation. Due to the reality of all the hurt and destruction that the enemy has been wreaking havoc in our world, there are so many people that feel hopeless, like completely hopeless. You step outside those walls or you step inside this church, and there are so many people who are feeling completely hopeless and they need the love of Jesus to start transforming. We have the message to bring to people when they feel hopeless, to help them feel alive and what it looks like to live. The gospel truly changes everything in our lives. Ooh. Can someone, like, advance it for me? There we go. So I haven't put together a PowerPoint, and I'm not kidding. It's probably five years. And there's this neat little button on the side that says design. And I was like, oh, I can make this look prettier. And boom, push the design. And then some different slides and, and the way they, they go together came up. But for some reason, this background, which I didn't, I clicked through a whole pile of them. No pictures showed up. But while I was preparing this, t- this part of it, this showed up. And this is what we need to do. We need to link arms. When the enemy separates me and he deceives me and I start going out onto my own, I am now vulnerable and the enemy is going to come and attack. This is where I need Rob holding onto my arm. I need Greg holding onto my arm. We need each other. Church, we, we can't actually win this fight alone. So the next little bit, I want to share some vision for community and the battle plan for us as Calvary Church. We strongly believe it's very important to be a part of a smaller body of believers within Calvary. And as the church continues to grow and increase in number, this becomes even more important. It's really easy for us to to kind of come here, be on our own, and leave Being a part of a smaller body of believers is really important. One church, a mega church, said it this way, Big church done small. I like that. And as a leadership, uh, we have a deep desire to see people in this body connected in real and authentic relationships. The war on relationship isn't something uh, that is just going against us as followers of Jesus. The war on relationship is against all humanity whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. The thing is, when we're filled with the Spirit, we should actually reflect to the world a different way of living than the rest of the world is seeing because the Spirit is leading and guiding us. There is grace in the midst of all of this messiness, but we should be reflecting to the world what it looks like to truly live. There is not one person that the Father does not desire to be in relationship with. Everyone was created for a relationship with the Father and with one another, whether they recognize it or not. That's what they were created for. And He longs for that to be restored. I believe the most powerful witness for us as believers is when we're walking in the spirit of truth and when we're walking this faith out before people. And that our relationships are one that people are going like, hmm, man, do I wish I had that. You know how many people feel so incredibly lonely in the world today? Why are they lonely? Because they don't have healthy, good relationship. That's what makes us feel lonely. When you have a brother or a sister that you know you can call on at any time, their sphere of influence is so attracted to that, that they're like, how on earth? Like, I want that. Always be prepared to make a defense for the hope that's within you. We can display that for the world around us. That's my prayer for us as a church, is that we would display it for our community. So how are we going to do that? Here's some ideas. Oh. This is a bit of a vision for community and what I would call a bit of our battle plan for a church. This is not flushed out uh, the general, you know, having five of you are going to head in this direction, ten are going that way, we're going to come around like this. This is a battle plan that's in works for us. So you're going to start hearing these words, I think, a lot more from up front here. I'm a very compartmentalized person, and things like work best that way. If you come into my office, there's a board for this, and there's a board for that. Rob's making fun of me already because of that, but it's, it's the way I work. So, life groups. You could call it community groups. You could call it a cell group. You could call it a small group. You could call it all kinds of things. The word "life groups" for me, and this is my compartmental brain, says what we want it to be. I want it to be your lifeline. I want it to be your life group. the people you do life with the people that when life gets hard, you call on this is your life group. We hope and I would yeah, this is a higher level of commitment it 's something weekly where you would weekly reach out to these people, you would get together, you would grow together, you would cry together, you would eat together. This will be your small community inside a Calvary church. My ideal thinking is that every single person in this church has a life group. Um, That's my dream. Every person has a life group. Because when you don't have it, you are separate. And when you are separate, the enemy will come and attack. And he will destroy you. Now, in a life group, it gives lots of opportunity for offense and struggles and for us to work this out together. That's where we put into practice. How does it look? To actually sharpen one another and forgive and to love one another and care for each other. Lots of room inside of a life group for it to get messy and it probably should because that's where we're really going to go to war. So we should expect for the enemy to be causing all kinds of troubles in there. But we need to take up arms and go against it and start fighting. This is where you will experience life together. It's a group of people who you are there for uh, in every season. The good, the bad, the highs, the lows, the celebrations, the victory, and the grieving. We all need people in our corner who are these people in our lives. The goal is to meet regularly, to grow in depth in our relationship with one another, and to battle against the enemy's plan to destroy us and to divide us and to plant seeds of offense. These groups could have a wide variety of makeup of people. I love multi-generational groups. I think it's absolutely one of the most beautiful pictures of the church is when these groups are multi-generational and you have one family and a couple seniors and a couple of young adults. I love to see. I hope that's actually the majority of our groups would be multi-generational groups. But you could have men's groups that meet on Saturday morning for breakfast and they go to war with each other and encourage each other. And when things fall apart, I reach out to them and can you pray for me? Could be a men's group, could be ladies' groups, could be a seniors' group, could be meeting in the evening, could be meeting during the day here at the church. Lots of different options within that. The goal is to meet regularly and go to war together. Then there's the second one, focus groups. This would be a mid-commitment. It could be three, six, three to six week type of a commitment. Might be a fall, winter, or a spring type of a chorus that we offer. Traditionally, this could be something that would look like more like a traditional Bible study. The purpose is, is more of teaching and growing in knowledge on a certain topic or yeah, current event. So where you could, maybe your life group, this is the thing that keeps I keep thinking, in a life group, your your group is struggling with something, and you're going, we need more teaching on this. And then you come to some of our very gifted teachers, like Rob and Elmer, and you're like, can you teach us on this topic a little bit? And then we invite others into that focus group, and on Wednesday nights, a number of groups meet to wrestle through something and learn together for a season of three to six weeks. Uh, or... You're newer here and you don't have a life group and you're wanting to learn to plug in or see how you could plug in and you sign up for one of the, the many, hopefully the dream, the many focus groups that we have going on here. That would have been Mavis and my first experience. We signed up for a book study, wounded by God's people. And we got to meet people and we got to start gathering and by the end of that six weeks, no one wanted to stop meeting. And so we did the Joy Project and by the end of those weeks, we really didn't want to stop meeting again. But it started building community. So we really do hope to offer many opportunities over the next while for focus groups. Trust me, that's going to take some time to grow into that. Another area is serving groups. Jesus said, I came to serve and not be served. I think it's really important for us to develop a heart of service and to grow that. There are so many ways. I, I literally have on my paper, there are thousands of ways to serve one another and to serve in the church from greeting to making coffee to setting up chairs. The chairs needed to be set up in the back this morning. I'm so grateful someone came in and and gave me a hand setting up chairs. It could be taking tables and chairs down after a potluck. It could be coming to serve before a funeral and setting up the chairs and then being in the kitchen and helping with the dishes and, and then getting back out there and putting tables back. There's countless ways that we can serve together as a body and bless each other in that. And then beyond that, it's serving in our community and loving on our neighbors. When you go love on your neighbor, they're like, why are you doing this? Serving should be a very natural part of a life group where you you serve one another inside of your life group. But serving needs to become a part of our regular activity as a church body. Serving each other and helping out um, and loving on each other. And then finally, there's this thing that we would call connection events. It's very much like the the Viking chess tournament one-time event low commitment you come to it and you get to know people Um, when we were doing the joy project we did a bowling night real low just had had a lot of fun Uh, we were told well we should dress up and I think I dressed up Um, good thing I didn't go too exuberant on it but Just having fun together. There was a couple that came to that bowling night who had been to Calvary Church maybe one time, two times. And in the afternoon, uh, I had sent out a text. Hey, it looks like we're going to have a few extra spots. If somebody wants to invite a friend to this, invite them to come to the bowling. We're, We're paying for these spots anyway. And then Rob and Karen show up. I had never met Rob before that night. And Rob has become a dear brother to me. Rob is in one of my many life groups. I'm not in just one life group. I'm in multiple life groups. Rob is in there. When I'm struggling and going through a hard time or after treatment, if I'm not feeling great, he is in one of the men's groups that I will reach out and say, Rob, can you pray for me? That happened at a bowling night. It birthed at a bowling night. These connection events, the ladies' event happening this evening, if you're new here, come, please. You're going to meet ladies who want to do life with you. That's why we do connection events. Here's some of my dreams. The corn maze, potlucks, rent the rink, Christmas caroling, men's events, breakfasts, ladies' events, gather, go and give, all these different things that we just get together and start to do community together. Church, we need to go to war. I can't stress that enough. It's it's time to, like make him get off that recliner and start to work a little bit. And that's our job. That's our call, to go push back and to show the world to be a city on a hill that's so bright that people are like, I've got to know what's going on at Calvary. i got to know what's going on in your life. Like, Can you tell me you're filled with hope and joy in the midst of chaos and garbage all around you and you're filled with hope? Ben, you can come on up. So we're working at cultivating this attitude of response and a culture of responding. And there's two things that have been on my heart as I've been preparing this message about asking for you guys to respond towards. I can still clearly remember after I'd been elected as a pastor and had been working in ministry at a volunteer level for quite some time, I was at a youth retreat and I since the, well, the speaker was talking about all in, 100%. 100%, Lord, it's yours. I'm, I'm going 100%, whatever you're asking of me. I remember the day and the evening where I knelt down at a youth retreat and said, okay, Jesus, 100%. I'm, I'm going to battle. And it was a battle talk. And Mavis and I knelt down, even though we were already serving, but it was like, okay, Jesus, 100%, I want to go after you. I want to go into this battle. And if that's you here today, I invite you to just ask somebody, can you pray for me? I want to go 100% into the battle. I want to go into this fight 100%. And the other thing is this. If you are carrying a spirit of offense from the last few years or you are finding yourself really battling the crazy busyness and you find that you're falling into that trap again and you need somebody to just pray pray over you to break that off and so that your blinders can come, like you can see it for what it is, then we want to pray for you also. God, I just want to thank you. Thank you that you are so worthy of all of our praise, all of our worship. Thank you, Jesus, that you go with us into this battle. It's not that we have to walk into it on our own. And I pray that today oh, we would be such a bright light when we leave from this place and going into battle for relationships. Father, I pray that Psalm 139, you would search our hearts, see if there's any way inside of us that grieves you and lead us in the way everlasting. Amen.